Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want you to turn in your Bible, please, to the book of Genesis and chapter 6. I want to uh, just take a short time this morning uh, to talk to you about a character in the Bible that seems to be very popular at the moment. Noah. Noah. Uh, everywhere I go, I see giant posters of, of Noah. Well, technically, I see giant posters of Russell Crowe, uh, which isn't exactly the same. And uh, I'm led to believe that the movie doesn't exactly follow the Bible word for word. In fact, it doesn't follow it particularly well at all. But at least Russell Crowe doesn't sing in this uh, version. But I thought it would be good, as uh, everyone is currently thinking about Noah, to, uh, to bring you a message this morning called Knowing Noah. And just to chat through with you some of the things that uh, perhaps we can learn, uh, not from the movie version, but from, but, but from the book. Can you say amen? amen. It's like, uh, I, a few years ago, I, I sat through Lord of the Rings. I'll never get that time back, will I? Especially the third one that constantly kept ending and then starting again. It's like a plane landing and taking off and then landing and taking off. I'll never get that time back. But, um, but every time I used to say to people, oh, I, yeah, I've seen Lord of the Rings, some bright spark would say, yeah, but you've got to read the book. Well, they were, they, were, they were probably right. But anyway, more to the point, when it comes to Noah, you've got to read the book rather than see the film. So today we're going to have a look at the book and just think about one or two things about Noah's life that have got nothing to do with animals coming in two by two. All right, so anyone into, into wildlife here or animals, that's not quite where we're going to go uh, with this. What does the Bible really say about the life of Noah? And more to the point, what's that got to do with me and you? Which is, uh, I hope, will be helpful. So Genesis chapter 6. And we'll pick up in verse 9, if we may. This is the account of Noah. Everyone with me? Okay. Noah was a righteous man. uh, Blameless. Among the people of his time. And he walked with God. Noah had three sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch. 
inside and out. And this is how you are to build it. The ark is to be. And then he gives all these um, dimensions. Uh, let me just cut to the chase. The size of a football stadium is roughly how big this was, depending on how big a span of a man's hand is. That's how it varies. Verse 17, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird. Uh, not, not, two, not two of every sort of bird, but every kind of bird. Uh, and of every kind of creature. Not two of every creature, but two of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will, will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. It's amazing to... Uh, First of all, to think about some of the differences between what people think happened in the days of Noah, the flood and the ark from a kind of a Sunday school perspective or even a Russell Crowe Hollywood um, perspective now and what the Bible actually says. Uh, for example, those wonderful little children's books where the ark is a little ship with like a with like a giraffe's head poking over the top, looking out onto the destruction of the world, with Mr. and Mrs. Noah, who, by the way, are always overweight in those pictures, aren't they? Always. Um, he was probably a big, tough guy, you know. Um, and, and, you know, a, a little monkey, you know, hopping around on top of the ark, which is like the tiniest little ship that could barely fit, you know, a whole, you know, a tiny bit of a zoo couldn't fit in, into it, let alone a giant Wembley Stadium-sized structure with three uh, floors in it, as the Bible um, um, says. So that's that's sort of one thing. Another thing that people often get confused about is how did Noah get the animals? Uh, how do you do that? Have you ever tried to catch a mouse, even in your kitchen? <laughs> Let alone two of every kind. How are you going to catch a cheetah? What's that going to be? Well, there's a reason why I'm bringing you, Mrs. Noah. I'll get the snails and you go get the cheetahs. Can you bring a hippopotamus with you? They didn't go out and get the animals. The Bible says that God sent the animals to them. So just get that clear in your head. So no, no picture of Noah with a giant net run, running around trying to, here kitty kitty, there's going to be a flood. Not, not at all. God, God sent the creatures 
to the ark. So that's, that's, uh, uh, a big, a big difference to how people sort of see it. But what can we learn from Noah? Because Noah appears in the kind of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, he's one of the first ones to be mentioned. No, that's no big surprise because he's early in the Bible, of course. But So we're supposed to learn from him. And in the absence of a giant flood coming later this afternoon, because that's not going to happen, uh, what, what is it that we can learn from this amazing man of God? What is it that we can bring to 2014? And I've thought of four things. Here we go. Number one, the first thing I think we can learn from uh, Noah is that Noah lived by faith, not by sight. Noah didn't just live by faith, but he planned with faith rather than with experience. Uh, A great verse coming up here. uh, By faith, Hebrews 11 verse 7, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. So let's just, let's just, let's just get this for a moment. Noah had to believe God for something that had never happened before. Now, some say from Genesis 2 that it had never rained before. Uh, I, I don't know whether that's right or not. It may have rained since Genesis 2, etc. So it's possible it had never rained before. But, but it's equally possible that it had rained, but there certainly hadn't been a flood that had destroyed the world. This had not happened before. So Noah wasn't able to go to the scrolls of the ancients of his people and say, oh look, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is the kind of thing that, that can happen. No. Noah, by faith, was warned about things not yet seen. He had to take action on the word of the Lord and not upon any obvious scientific or tangible evidence. Do you understand what I mean? It hadn't happened before. No one had built an ark before. So there was no manual. There was no testimony. There was no podcast to tell you how to do it. He couldn't Skype Methuselah and say, when you built an ark, What did you do? Is this likely to occur? And so here's my first application to us today. And maybe it's, maybe it's a question for you. How would you deal? And how would you feel if God were to speak to you and ask you to do something completely by Faith. 
I think we have come into a place in most of our lives where we are entirely comfortable. Where we are full of contingency plans. Plan B, C, D and E. And if we were from America, Z. It's Z. Or maybe Z. I want to challenge you today that the God whom we serve is still the same. That means that He might require of you in your life that the sole life mission, or at least one of them, should be conducted in your life by faith and not by sight. Now, now, let's just be, let's backtrack and just be careful. I'm not talking about crazy stuff. If you go home this afternoon and start building an ark in your garden, you're nuts. That's not what we mean. That's not what we mean. But there are all kinds of things that God could call you to do. Watch this, that no one's done before. Or you don't know anyone who's got that same passion as you. God might put something in your heart and you might not find that in this room at least there's someone who's got it exactly the same as you. But I want to encourage you today, sometimes God calls us to do things that are not yet seen. Things that we don't have much evidence about. Things that we don't feel prepared for. One of the life lessons from the book of Noah, listen carefully, is this. When you're 600 years old, God might call upon you to do something quite big. He was an old fella, you know. Older than Russell Crowe, just about. This giant construction, building a a Wembley Stadium-sized boat. And think of the derision, think of the mockery. Think of the people saying, what on earth are you doing, you old fool? But there was something on the inside of Noah that said, this is big. This is going to take a long time for me to complete. Don't skip over verses and think that God spoke to him one day on a Wednesday and a month later it was built. Don't think that. Who knows? One of the commentators suggests that it might have taken decades to build this boat. Who knows? We don't know. But this idea that God speaks to you today and fulfills it tomorrow, it's not really a Bible thought. And sometimes the test is how we deal with the call of God and its fulfillment. What do we do in the middle of that? What do we do in the waiting room? What do we do in the preparation room? It's worth pointing out as well that God was perfectly capable of miraculously creating an ark. But he didn't. He got the old man to build it. 
And sometimes we're waiting on God to do something when actually God's waiting on us to do something. To put our hands to the plow and start building. So my first challenge to you is to forget Mr. and Mrs. Noah on a ship with a giraffe sending out doves. These were people, and particularly Noah, this was a man of faith. He believed impossible things. Possibly for decades. And God might call upon you to do something very big. I'm not now talking about getting a dream in the night. I'm not talking now about getting a prophetic word. I'm talking about something much bigger than that. I'm talking about that deep inner compass on the inside of you that says, this is what I have to do with my life. I'm not talking about Brother Dingling giving you a prophecy and I had a dream and uh, there was a giant piece of cheese came out of the sea. What do you think it means? It means don't, don't eat kebabs. That's what it means. Number one, Noah was a man of faith. Are you? Am I? And God thinks big. So we have to think big. One man said this, if God be your partner, make your plans big. Jane and I are big fans of Dragon's Den. We love it. We watch carefully who does not give away any money ever. They just sit there stroking the money. I bet it's not even theirs. I'd like to borrow a million pounds, please, just to sit on a table. But do you know what? When someone comes before the dragons in the den, as soon as they link up with a dragon, suddenly what should happen is more than just the money, they should start changing their plans. Now they can have bigger plans because now they have an investor. If God is our dragon, forgive that phrase, but but you know what I mean by that. If God be our investor, if God be King's Church's business partner, then nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. And he is. He's the great chief shepherd of the sheep. He's your business partner. He's your head apostle. So anything's possible with him. So number one, Noah planned with faith. Not based on experience. Not based upon how things had been but based upon how he felt things were going to be as God was directing him. Number two, Noah obeyed God completely. Now this one is very, very simple. But preachers need to keep preaching this because it's not something that we're all very good at doing, including the preachers who are preaching it. Genesis 6 and 22, Genesis 7 verse 5. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Genesis 7 verse 5. Noah did all, say all, all all that the Lord commanded him. Let me ask you this second question. 
Will you and I do that? He did everything. He did all. There's a, there's a pattern here. And this is just a couple we can fit on the screen. There are a few more. God spoke, go into the ark, so they went into the ark. God spoke, come out of the ark, so they all came out of the ark. Every time God told them something to do, they did it. Every time God spoke to Noah, he just did it. Oh, that I and you could be like that. Can you say amen? That if God says it, we do it. Now, you know, you think, well, is this going to get more complicated? Nope. It's not going to get more, it's not going to get more complicated. But it is the secret, surely, of walking with Jesus. Hot versus lukewarm and cold. It's so simple. If God says it, then we do it. That's not rocket science, is it? And yet, for many people, rocket science would be simpler than to obey the word of God. Not just sometimes, but every time. I wonder how wonderful it would be to attend a funeral of a wonderful, wise, saintly man or woman of God. And for their epitaph, for their for their, for their obituary, for their dedication to be something like this, they did everything that God commanded them to do. They did all that the Lord commanded them. You see, God isn't going to call upon you to build a giant boat, but God does have an incredible plan for your life. But it begins with all the little things that we have to do. Not the big things. The will of God is not in the future. The will of God is today. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Before any one of them came to be. You can come and say, God, I want you to have your will in my life. But please don't think that that's some big event in the future. God having his will in your life is you stopping telling lies today. Or you stop being disrespectful to your boss today. Or you taking that ugly gossip and shoving it back in your mouth today. The small things. Which of course to God are no different to the big things. Long before Noah got his hammer out. And started to fulfill some prophetic plan. The Bible says this. He was blameless and he was righteous. So the big thing about Noah wasn't that he was a boat builder. Or an animal lover. He was not the Bill Oddie of the BC world. He was a righteous man. And we've got to get this thing where we, we don't think that one thing is greater than another thing. If I want the will of God done in my life, then I have to do it. Not just the things I think are deep and big and massive and significant and things to write on Facebook, but the smaller things 
like faithfulness, punctuality, clean living, clean thinking, changing my language, avoiding certain types of um, comedy and being clean. These things are just as important to God, if not more, than building a giant boat this afternoon. And sometimes we do that. We think some things are more important than others. I call it popery holiness. I used to work in a, one of those places where you, you uh, um, pick and mix your sweets, you know. And I want to tell you this. If ever you've suspected that that bag is heavy, you're right. That bag that you put your sweet, that's heavy. That's the heaviest bit. I can reveal that exclusively now. Really heavy. But you go around going, well, I'll have a bit of that, but I don't want that. Have you ever gone into one of these sweet places? I'll, I'll have some of these sweets, but I don't want any of those. And you, you can pick and mix what you want. Now that's great with sweets. But you can't pick and mix from the Bible. You can't pick and mix from the social ethics of the Bible. There's a wonderful story. I've told it, but it's many years ago. Most of you probably won't remember this. But there's a story of a couple in America who went through a McDonald's. Everyone know what a McDonald's is? Yeah, I just thought I'd ask a stupid question. So they, they went to a McDonald's drive through And when they got to the speaker, you know, how can I help you? They spoke into the thing, I want a Big Mac, and of course I want it supersized, yes. And then they, it was, it was a, um, a couple, a man and a woman. And when they got round to get the food, you know, they just hand you the food, you know, you just totally trust them, don't you, that it's the right thing. So they grabbed the food and they, and they drove, And while they were driving, they like pulled over, opened up the McDonald's bag, and there in the bag were the takings. Someone had accidentally cashed up and put all the takings in the bag. Woo! Now these people were Christians. So they start, wow, what's this? Oh no, they've, we haven't got cheeseburgers. But, but we've got all the money. And then they start thinking, well, maybe God wanted us to have this. <laughs> I tithe, you know. And, uh, and the lady said, no, don't be silly. And they, they were really, they suddenly felt really guilty, like they'd stolen it. And so as soon as they could, they drove right back to the McDonald's, walked in. And said, look guys, you, you gave us the takings. <laughs> you accidentally gave us the takings. And they put it on the, on the counter. The manager and the staff were so amazed that these people had been so honest. Well, they were Christians after all. Had been so honest. They said, no, stop here. Don't go nowhere. I, I'm, I'm calling the local paper. And we're going to get a photographer to take a picture of you. And as soon as they said that, they got in the car and drove away. Because they were having an affair. They weren't married. Adultery was going on. 
And they fled for fear of having a photo taken. Now something inside them said it's wrong to steal. But something inside them said, but it's okay to have an affair. You understand? Popori. Pick and mix. That's not in the word of God. They made a God in their own image. A God that was really mad about stealing. But a God who thought it was perfectly reasonable that given they were having a bad marriage, that they should be able to have an affair. Well, they believed in God, all right, just not the one in the Bible, the one in their head. That said it was okay to live the way they wanted to live. Noah didn't, he didn't do that. Noah obeyed the will of God in the small things as well as the large things. Um, we should do the same. It's not about the big moments. Can you say amen? It's not about the big moments. In fact, you are never more of a Christian than when you behave in a Christian way and no one even knows about it. That's when you are at the most Christian. When you make a decision to obey God in a way that no one will ever know except God, that is when you are at your most Christian. The third one. Noah obeyed God completely. But I want to remind you that holiness sometimes leads to loneliness. The Bible says of Noah this. That he was righteous, blameless among the people of his generation, among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. Listen to me carefully. Christian values, Christian faith is getting to be a bit lonelier these days. Isn't it? And we have a decision to make. To stay lonely. To become maybe a little bit more despised than we already are. Or maybe to kind of blend in a bit. Maybe to say, well, some of these things are not quite as important as we thought. The day we do that, you and I, We haven't got much in common with Noah anymore. We might think that Christianity is slowly becoming a bit of a minority in the UK. You imagine Noah. Him and his family, they're the only ones. They couldn't get up and say, does anyone want to come on Friday to a house group? They were the only ones in the house group for decades Do you honestly think Noah once turned to his wife and said, I wonder who's coming to church today? Well, I suspect, Noah, it's going to be you and me and our three sons and their three wives. Really? How do you know that? Well, it's just a feeling. (laughs) Word of knowledge. Prophetic utterance. Oh, and the fact that it's been like that for a hundred years. Now, some churches, of course, can be a bit like that. Who's going to show up today? Everyone who normally does. Noah found that holiness led to loneliness. Now let me tell you what this old preacher's got to say about that. I say, that's all right. That's all right. We're not supposed to fit in. 
Now we're supposed to make the teaching of God our Savior attractive, says the book of Titus, by our many good deeds. But we are not supposed to make the teaching of God our Savior attractive by changing it to make it better for people who don't like it. That is not on the divine agenda. Except for the Laodiceans and their lukewarm flow of Christian faith. Noah found that holiness made him lonely. How about you? I want to throw out quite a serious, a serious question to you today. How lonely are you prepared to be for Jesus? Now by lonely, you know, what we mean is feeling more and more isolated. I turn on my TV now, I don't hear any politicians who have the same views as me anymore. I don't hear any celebrities with the same views as me. 20 years ago I did, a bit, but now I don't. And as this generation separates itself from the righteousness and the standards of the word of God, we must stay with the righteous standards of God. And that will create holiness that leads to loneliness. That's going to lead to opposition. That's going to lead to difficulties. But anything else, anything different to that, we're not in, in the Noah League anymore. He was the only one. The only one. And we know that he tried to share his faith. Peter tells us that he was a preacher of righteousness on the screen there. So he didn't hide in a little room worshipping God but not trying to share him. The Bible says he was a preacher. Possibly, can we say, the most unsuccessful preacher who ever lived. And yet... Somehow, one of the most successful. Because he remained faithful. When you have to be faithful, it means you face many disappointments. You can't be faithful unless you are tested. Right? Everyone get that? The fruit of the Spirit is faith or faithfulness. You only have to have faithfulness. When things aren't going your way. We're going to be faithful to our calling. We're going to be faithful to him who has called us. We're going to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As originally preached. Not some new fangled changed version of today. We're going to be faithful to talk about the blood of Jesus and the cross. We're going to be faithful to say that God requires people to separate themselves unto Him. Oh, we're faithful to talk about the joy of this new life in Jesus that we have. But we're going to stay faithful to His Word. The Bible says in the last days, people will gather around them teachers that say what their itching ears want to hear. There's a danger that both we will become those people and become those teachers. And we should become neither of those. Noah found that being holy 
was lonely. One of the prophets says this. He says, I sat alone because the hand of the Lord was upon me, said Jeremiah. I sat alone because the hand of the Lord was upon me. Now, some people are lonely because they're strange. Some people are lonely because they're rude. Some people are lonely because they need to be a little wiser in the way they share their faith. Well, I'm not talking about bigotry and offense. I'm not talking about um, picking on people or being Pharisees and Sadducees. That's not what we're talking about. But when God's hand is on you, there will be times when it will be lonely. Because you're going to have to separate yourself from forms of entertainment, from people, from scenarios that you know are not God's will for you. Last one. Finally, number four, he was a blessing to his own family. Very quick on this, but something that you may not know about Noah is that when he was born, Lamech, his father, says this, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands. Fascinating little verse. When Noah was born, the word Noah is not exactly right, but it's sort of the Hebrew word for comfort, or it sounds a little bit like it. Comfort. What should we call this child of ours? Guess what they didn't call him? They didn't call him trouble. They didn't call him nightmare. They didn't call him debt-creating monster. They called him comfort. Because they perhaps had a revelation, I don't know, but there was a sense which, as they named him, this child is going to be good for us. He's going to bring us comfort in this life. And then we find, of course, at the end of his days, Noah is not just a blessing to his parents, but now he's a blessing to his sons and in-laws. So one of the areas, and I'm going to finish now, but one of the areas that I want to just remind us of before we're done here. This guy who built that boat, or paid some other people to build it. That guy who sent out a dove to see if the flood had receded. Where did he begin? He began by being good to his mum. And all the mums said, Amen. And he began by being good to his dad. And all the dads said, There's only one. (laughs) The fourth commandment. Honor your mum and dad. Oh no, Lord. No, no, no. You, Not my mum. Don't you know what she did? Not my dad. Don't, don't, don't go there. Not mum and dad. Don't go there. Don't go there, Lord. Don't go there, preacher. Don't go there. No, we, we've got to go there. Noah was not just the guy with the animals. He was the guy with the family. 
Noah was the guy who saved his family. And there comes a, not a burden, but a godly responsibility on me and upon you. I'm going to honor my father and I'm going to honor my mother. And here we see that he saved and took care of, excuse me, and protected his children and even the wives that his children had chosen for themselves with some arranged marriage perhaps. His commitment to his family was not just blood, but also through the covenants. How are you getting on with your son-in-law? I've just suddenly thought there's a few son-in-laws in the room. How are you getting on with your daughter-in-law? How are you getting on with your dad? Or how are you getting on with the memory of your dad? Or the memory of your son? If we can't be a blessing to our family, then we're not going to really touch this world. Family is something God designed. It's sacred and special to him. And some people would rather build a boat than forgive their dad. Yes? Some people would rather sit in a ship with an elephant for a year. Let's not even think about that. Have you been to the elephant place at the zoo? Did something enter your nose at that moment there? (laughs) Honor your mum. Honor your dad. Look after your children. All of them. All of them. Noah obeyed everything that God commanded of him. He did everything, all things, that God wanted him to do. So as we learn today from this man of faith, we think about how he had to do something that no one else had quite done. And that's going to be true of you as well. We learn that he, whatever God told him to do, he just did it. That's something God wants of you. We learn that although the whole of the generation around him but decided to go another way. He stayed with the word of the Lord. And that is something that we must do. And finally we see that he was a man who put his family very much at the forefront of the way he was going to outwork his faith. And for some that can be the most difficult thing of all. But hear the word of the Lord today. That's what God will send you power to do. The Bible says this, and we finish here, that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I wonder why. Because he came up in the lottery? Because God shuffled the pack and decided to bless him? I suggest not. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord because he set himself apart. And I encourage us to do the same. Finally, because this, as it was in the days of Noah, 
so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. As the days get closer to Jesus' return, God's looking for a whole load of more knowers who will be preachers of righteousness, be demonstrating their faith through their love for their family. Believing God is their business partner and obeying him with all of their hearts. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.